I thought I'd finish 2.19 with a bang. That was the bang. It was more like a fizz, like a pop. Just disappeared. <laughs> Who had a good Christmas? Yep, who's glad it's over? It's one of those times of year, isn't it? It's a great blessing and it's wonderful to get together with everybody, but you really want everything right, you know? You, you want the food to be right and you want the family. Sometimes when families get together, there's those dynamics that take place and you're really hoping that we can lay our dynamics aside and we can just get on with each other and it can be a... a I mean, not in our house, Jack, of course. You're looking at me. Of course not in our house. Gosh. Absolute perfection in our house. It was like a picture of heaven. if heaven was dysfunctional. (laughs) But it's not. Heaven's going to be perfect and utterly together. (laughs) Who got Christmas gifts this year? Who who was on the nice list? Anyone on the naughty list this year? Yeah, okay, we've got a couple. At least you're honest about it. That's probably why you're on the naughty list. You're bragging. I was on the naughty list. Look at me. Okay. Who's wearing, I think I did, just show of hands, who's wearing an item of something they might have got for Christmas? Yep. Yep, awesome. Who wishes they were wearing an item they got for Christmas? (laughs) Who wishes they were wearing an item someone else got for Christmas? Who just wishes they were wearing something? Who's content with what they've got? Uh, it's good. Uh, Jordan, our, our middle boy, I'll share this with you only because Jordan's not here, but you can't repeat it to him. Jordan loves um, Star Wars and Marvel films and that, and so he actually asked us this year would we get him an action figure. I mean, he's 19, but that's okay. He wanted an action figure for Christmas. And so anyone ever try to buy an action figure for a child? Christmas time, very hard to find them. Hey? <laughs> His father doesn't have lattes. That's a secret, quite. Straight black shots, double shots I drink. If you ever buy me a coffee, double shot, black straight. That's what I take. That's a man's coffee. And uh, not a latte. If it is a latte, caramel, vanilla, I'll take either. But... Um, Anyway, so I went down, I tried to find him, find him a, 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 an action figure. Very hard to find at Christmas time, but I did find him one, wrapped it up, put it under the tree. He was so excited. Christmas morning, wakes up, grabs a gift, rips open the paper. There's a box, opens up the box, looks inside the box, looks at me and says, Dad, there's nothing in the box. I said, no, there is. It's a superhero. That's Invisible Man. <laughs> it's Invisible Man. Anyway, he had a ball with it for about two hours. Then he put it down, couldn't remember where he put it. He, not his fault. I shouldn't have bought the one in camouflage gear. It was my fault. Invisible man in camouflage gear. That didn't really happen, by the way, just in case you're wondering. There is not. Don't go to the shops and say, can I have an invisible man? Because somebody will probably sell it to you. And you'll probably buy it. You don't want that. Daniel chapter 6, if you got one of those leather-bound gatherings of 66 ancient documents that we call a Bible, if you've got one of those on you, I want to have a quick look at Daniel chapter 6 this morning. I want to share something this morning and I'm going to preface by saying this. Please don't switch off to me because I know that when we start talking down some of these paths, I, 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 there are certain topics and certain things where we pull ourselves back a little bit and go, hang on a second. This is, so this is one of those ones where potentially you might want to pull yourself back a little bit and go, hang on, he's getting a little bit in the ground here. That's, so I, I don't want you to do that. I want you to stay with me and I want you to listen to what I've got to say because... Two days ago, I had another message to preach, and it was awesome. It was fantastic. Uh, it was earth-shattering. It probably would have got me on the speaking tour all around the world. There was a book coming out of it. Somebody would have made a movie. It was that good. However, 48 hours ago, it felt like God said, ditch it. It's hopeless. What would he know? Anyway, I ditched it. And now I've got something else that's just been laid on my heart, some thoughts, been running around. I'm looking forward to 2020. Who's looking forward to 2020? 
And uh, this time of year, I always, just within myself, I sit here and I listen. And I kind of sort of say to God, okay, God, what, what, what's 2020 going to be about? Give me something. Uh, usually I end up with a theme or a thought or some things, you know, the world would call them New Year's resolutions. Uh, I've given up on them. I fail at them too often. So now it's just, well, God, what, what are you saying to me? What would you have me do? What do you want me to do? Uh, and I felt like God laid something on my heart. And as I sat with it and looked at it, I thought, you know what? I really feel like, God, that's a, a challenge that you're calling us uh, to as a church. Um, while you're turning to Daniel, just very quickly, uh, Isaiah 60 is the passage that uh, this church, our name, arise. comes out of Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60 says this, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon... Who? Well, you're saying that, so you should be saying me. Arise, shine, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The glory of God has risen upon you. Isaiah is prophesying about a time to come 700 odd years later. He's speaking to something that would happen that first uh, century Israel, speaking about when Jesus came uh, to the planet. But this church, the name of this church came out of that passage, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And if I look at those words, Arise, shine, if, if if I can translate it to modern day English, if I could take Arise, shine, and... All these years later, sit down with Isaiah. I think Isaiah would say, okay, to arise, church, I'm going to change it from arise, shine. I'm going to change it to stand up and stand out. I'm going to say stand up and stand out. That's what arise, shine means to us. That's what it means to me in this church. And that's what we've been about from day one is to try to uh, point people to Jesus. Because when we get in relationship with God, when we begin doing life the way God wants us to, when we start listening to God, everything God is saying to us is helping us to stand up and stand out. Every instruction, every word that God speaks to me is about getting my life, helping me get my life in order. It's about rising, standing, going forward, growing. It's not about stagnant. It's not about making excuses. It's not about, about feeling sorry for myself. It's not about just sitting back and going, well, I've made it. No, I haven't made it. There's more places for me to go. There's more in this life that God has placed me here to grab a hold of than I've grabbed a hold of now. So I'll rise, shine, stand up and stand out. That's kind of what we're about. And I was sitting uh, the last couple of days and and the Lord's laid this thing on my heart and the word that he laid on my heart was this word and we'll see it here in this passage in Daniel and it's this phrase, an excellent spirit. Anyone have read that in the Bible? An excellent spirit. And I'm going to have a look in a second if we get time. Daniel's not the only one that has an excellent spirit. There are many people throughout these documents that specifically mentions that they had an excellent spirit. So I just want to dance around this idea of an excellent spirit. So I want you to listen. I want you to open yourself up and listen to what I have to say as I talk this morning about an excellent spirit. It says in Daniel 6 verse 1 to 3, that's my phone going off in the background vibrating on a wooden box in case you can't hear it. Because I'm going to put it on the carpet and then it can vibrate and you won't hear it. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1 to 3, please Darius to set over the kingdom 120. So basically, Daniel and uh, Israel have been overtaken by Babylon. And the king has taken the best of the best from the Israeli people and he's brought them into Babylon. And out of the best of the best, he's found a few that were better than the best of the best. And then out of the best of the best, those few that were the best of the best, he found one that stood out head and shoulders above everybody else, and that's Daniel. So please, Darius, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, leaders, 
governors to be over the whole kingdom and over these three governors of whom Daniel was one that the satraps might give account to them that the leaders might give account to them so the king would suffer no loss so he wanted him to look after the king's stuff make sure that his stuff was safe make sure that he was going forward and verse 3 says then this Daniel distinguished himself I want you to see that Daniel distinguished himself I want you to, to, to notice this Daniel distinguished himself God didn't distinguish Daniel. Daniel distinguished himself. Daniel distinguished himself. Above the governors and the satraps, all the other leaders, why did he distinguish himself? It says because an excellent spirit was in him. The excellent spirit that the Bible's talking about here, that the writer's talking about, is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wasn't in Daniel. The Holy Spirit doesn't come into people until later on, New Testament times when the Holy Spirit comes. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only indwelled three types of people, prophets, priests, and kings. That was it. Daniel was neither of those at the time. If you go back and you look at the Greek in this passage, it's not the Holy Spirit, it's his spirit. An excellent spirit was in Daniel. Daniel distinguished himself by developing an excellent spirit. And I believe that as people of God, every single person in this room, every one of us have the opportunity to distinguish ourselves by developing an excellent spirit on the inside of us. Amen. Amen? Every one of us have the capacity and the opportunity to distinguish ourselves, to stand up and to stand out by developing an excellent spirit on the inside of us. I went shopping over Christmas, as many of you did, and how many of you went to a shop and it worked something like this? You went up to the counter, you bought a product, they gave you, they took your money, they gave you the product, they're back, then they said this to you, would you mind doing a short survey before you leave the store? Anyone go to a shop like that? So none of you went to Pandora? <laughs> no? Anyone get an email after you went to that shop? Yeah, we've got a few here. And the email says, would you mind taking a short survey? And what do they want to know? They want to know about our customer service. They want to know were you offered, whether did they try to upsell you? Did they this, did they this, did they that? More and more companies now are doing surveys on those at the coalface, those who are in the stores and in the shops. And they're doing these surveys for one reason only. And the reason is this. They want to know where they're at because they want to get better. They want to get better. So they're asking you to rate them so that they can look at where do I need to improve? Where can we go further? Where can we go higher? Where can we go harder? What can we do to make ourselves a better company, a better business? What can we do to get our staff better? When I was in Dan Murphy's, I was a manager in Dan Murphy's for about seven years. And towards the back end of my career with Dan Murphy's, we, we had a policy within Dan Murphy's where we were told to go into our community and recruit the best customer service people, didn't matter what shop they worked at, where they were, if we saw them, our job was to highlight them to Woolworths so that they could poach them. Because we wanted to be the best customer service company in Australia. So I remember driving through the McDonald's drive-thru and there was a young girl there and, and she was so friendly and nice and so on and I, I had her on my radar. I was going to recruit this. And then she turned out she was 16. She couldn't work in the liquor industry but it doesn't matter. As soon as that happened, I started looking around for the best of the best because we wanted to recruit the best of the best to come into our company to give us that edge over everybody else because there's always room to improve. There's always room to get better. There's always room to go further. Always room to go higher and so on. Um, towards the end of the school term, many mums and dads here, you'll know what I'm talking about. How many of you received this thing in the mail or maybe in the post called a report card? Yeah? 
We get a report card uh, and they come out a couple of times a year. It, it, it never ceases to amaze me that you can go to an athletics carnival at a school and the kids can run and they can know it's coming up. And, they, and we live in this culture now where we're trying to say to children that, that if you win, you get a blue ribbon. If you came 27th, we'll give you the exact same ribbon we gave the guy that won it. I understand what we're trying to do. I, I get what we're trying to say. We're trying to, we don't want to devalue and overvalue and so on. We're trying to say that just because they're better than you at that doesn't mean they're better than you. I understand what we're trying to do. But it's kind of confusing because you go through your whole career as a kid being given an, a, an award for coming 26th, the, the same award the kid that came first. The kid that came first starts thinking, why do I put in the effort to get better if the end result is the same as him? And the kid down here is going, geez, why would I waste my time trying to be better because the end result's the same as the guy that won? And then they get a report card home. Whoops. Isn't it funny? What we're trying to say to the kids at the athletics carnival, no, no one's better, we're all the same. Then the report card comes home. Hang on a second. Guess what? Your teachers have been rating you all year. You didn't even know it. Now, the report card that we get has two parts to it. One is the numerical uh, value of the, the, the score, you know, 70 out of 100, 40 out of 50, whatever it is for the results. Then the second part is what they call a commitment and effort rating. I've never, ever worried too much about the results because I'm a big believer in this. If you put the commitment and the effort in you'll get the result that's, that's appropriate. So I've never worried too much about the numbers, whether my kids came home with 100 out of 100 or 10 out of 100. I didn't care so much. But I do take a lot of notice, a lot of notice, of the commitment and the effort. One. Now the ones that, that, that Chloe has, they go like this. There's a rating system that goes like this. So there's a, a box with a tick and it starts out as excellent. So if the commitment and the effort you put in this year, even if your mark was 10 out of 100, but if your commitment and effort was, was, was excellent, you get an excellent. And sometimes you can be excellent and do the best you can and get 10 out of 100. You know what? In my opinion, that's okay. Because the mark's not the real issue, it's the effort. It's the commitment. Did you do your best? Did you do the best that you can with what you have? Second one after excellent is good. Was it good? From good, we go down to satisfactory. Then from satisfactory, we come right down to requires improvement. Requires improvement. Can you imagine at work? What, I want you to think about your workplace. What do you like at work? With the effort that you put in at work. Are you, are you excellent? Are you the one that I'm pulling up at your shop trying to recruit you to come to Dan Murphy's? Is that you? Are you the guy that puts that effort in at work? And you would get an excellent on effort. Your work might not be as good as the guy next to you in the other booth. You might not be as talented naturally or whatever. But effort-wise, are you better than the rest of them? Are you the one that's putting in the effort and the commitment 100% all the time and doing the best that you can with what you have? Are you the one that's just good? Now, good is like, well, good's good enough, isn't it? Good means that, hey, I'm, I'm not on the radar of being fired, you know. I'm probably not on the radar of being uh, promoted, but I'm just on that edge there. I'm good. I'm better than others. So it's good. So I'm judging myself by others. I'm better than them, so it's good. Maybe you're satisfactory. Satisfactory is, look, I dot my eyes, I cross my T's. I, I, I do enough to keep my head down and not get fired, but I don't, I'm certainly not going to get noticed though for a promotion or to get pushed up the peg either. That's not going to happen to I'll just play this nice, safe role. Or are you the one that requires improvement? You require improvement. In other words, we're watching you now. You're on a time frame. We're not seeing effort. We're not seeing commitment. 
from you. Let me, let me, let me give you this. God loves every one of us 100%. Amen? In the eyes of God, we are dead set equal. Amen? None of us are, have, have earned our way into the favour of God. Um, God, by his grace, made a decision to love us. And that's why we are loved. He made a decision and he won't change his mind. That's God. In the eyes of heaven, it's a level playing field. But how many of you know down here on earth, it's not? As long as we walk this planet with the years that we have, here's the reality, excellence in this life gets rewarded. It just does. Excellence gets noticed and excellence in this life, in this, this temporal world in which we live in, excellence gets noticed, excellence gets rewarded. When I started at Dan Murphy's, I was a back dock uh, storeman. I used to work at, Dan Mur- at uh, BWS years ago in Dawson Street here in Lisbon. Anyone remember the Dawson Street? I was, I was working there. Then when they closed down, I went across to Dan Murphy's in Ballina when they opened. So I was there the day Dan Murphy's opened and it was, it was busy and hectic. And we got in there and it was November, beginning of November. And we were, we had, they flew all these managers in, moved them into town from different places to come. And I, was, I, I told them up front, I said, look, I've got a family to feed. I need X amount of hours. I can't just come up there and be doing, you know, 15, 20 hours. I, I need hours. And so they said, here's what we'll do. We've already got all our management positions filled. In our, 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 all those roles. But what we'll do, because um, you interviewed well, what we'll do is we'll give you a permanent part-time contract, 38 hours. And I was happy with that. I said, right, I'll start there. And they said, here's the deal. You're going to be in the back dock, Christmas time, pushing pallets, moving stock. Uh, but come January, that's when we officially will anoint. They didn't use that word, but that's when we officially put the titles on all the managers. But because it's so busy now, we haven't got time to do that. We've just got to get in and sell. But you're just going to be a permanent part-timer. Here's Here's this guy, Justin. He's going to be the back dock. He's the storeman. He's the manager at the back dock, and you'll be working under him. I said, no worries. I'll do whatever. I'm happy to do it. I got in there, and I busted my backside. I worked hard. I, I did the hours. I, I, I learned as much as I could. I bettered myself on product knowledge. I went as hard as I could. The end of January, they called me into the office. The managers did. And they said, here's the deal. We haven't told Justin yet, but we've watched you and we've seen how hard you've worked. We've seen the effort that you've put in and the commitment that you've put in, not just to be pushing stock, but the effort you've put in to become customer friendly, the effort you've put in to educate yourself and to learn all that extra stuff. And because of that, we're just letting you know, how would you feel if we made you the back dock manager and not Justin? How would you feel? And I said, well, actually, it'd be kind of awkward because Justin's a good mate of mine now. But having said that, hey, I've worked for it. I'll take it. And so I got given that position on the basis of hard work. You see, when we are excellent at something, we get noticed. Whether it be at school, whether it be at work, whether it be on the sporting field, excellence gets noticed and excellence in life gets rewarded. That is just a fact. Excellence gets rewarded. I'll give you two things, two things to think about, and these points are true. I want you to see if you agree with me, and if you don't, that's okay, you're wrong. I'll back myself on this. Number one, excellence is a value in modern culture. Excellence is a value in this culture. That's why we have ratings at, at companies. That's why you're getting the emails. That's why they're asking you to do That's why you're getting phone surveys. Can you please tell us about, have you had a dealing with this company recently? Can you give us some feedback? But we want to get better because we value excellence in the culture in which we live. Excellence is a high value. You ever notice that at a, at a Grammy Awards or the Oscars or something like that, anyone ever notice this? Somebody can get up on stage. They're on TV in front of millions of people and they'll stand up on stage, they'll win a gold medal and they'll say this, I want to thank my Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ for all that he's done. 
And guess what? Not a pin drops. Everyone sits there and listens to every word coming out of their mouth. And when they're finished, everyone stands to their feet, cheers, yells and screams. You ever notice that? Yeah, what do you think would happen if you stood up in that crowd and did it? What do I think would happen if I stood up in that audience and tried to do that? Do you think they'd stand to their feet and clap and applaud me? Chances are they wouldn't. You know why? Because people want to know the secret of a successful person. Nobody wants to know the secret of coming second. Nobody cares about the secret of coming second. Nobody cares about the secret of mediocrity. But people do care about the secret of excellence. How do we become excellent? What is the key to excellence? How do we, how do we get to where we need to go? How do we get better? How do we go further? People are drawn to excellence. Excellence is a value in modern culture. And secondly, excellence is a value in your own life. Everyone sitting here, you value excellence. Ask yourself the questions. Why do you go to the doctor that you go to? Next time you're sick, come and see me. I'll charge you half your doctor does and I'll find the problem and I'll give you a diagnosis. Half price and I'll fit in with you. I'll come to your house. Any takers? Why? Because you want someone that's had training. You want someone that's good at what they do. You want someone that has a level of excellence about them in the field of medicine. Why do you go to the dentist that you go to and not the other dentist? Why do you shop at the shop you shop at and not the other shop over here? Maybe the customer service isn't as good. Prices, there's a whole bunch of things. But the bottom line is you're looking for the most excellent option in life and you go to them. Why do you go to the electricity company you go to? Why are you with the, the bank that you bank with? Why? You, because we're always looking for what's the most excellent thing and that's where we want to go. Because deep down inside, every person in the room we do value excellence whether we like it or not it's innate within us to if we want something done we want it done well if we're going to get something we want to get something that's decent that's good we value excellence society values excellence and we value excellence let me ask you a question if you were to rate yourself for 2019 excellent good satisfactory requires improvement. If you were to rate yourself for the past 12 months in terms of your performance at work, where would you rate yourself? If you were to rate yourself for the past 12 months on how you think you did as a husband and loving your wife and laying down your life for her, if you were to rate yourself on how you think you did as a wife honouring your husband, if you wanted to rate yourself on how you think you did as parents in, in, in showing the love of Christ to your kids and giving them time and inputting into their world, if you were to rate yourself as a boss how you treated your employees, those that were underneath you, down your line, if you were an employee, how would you, you say that you rate yourself at work in terms of the performance you put in for your boss, for your company? So if you were to rate yourself in 2019, could you look in a mirror and go, there's a man with an excellent spirit? There's a person with a spirit of excellence upon their life. In the commitment and effort category, would it say excellent? Or would it be good? Would it be satisfactory? Or would it say requires improvement? How would you rate yourself? How would others rate you? Those around you. How do you reckon other people around you would rate you in those areas? How do you think they'd rate you at work? If we were to sit your boss down and go, can you do a survey? How do you think the boss would rate you? How do you think your spouse would rate you? Your children would rate you? Hey, kids, how do you think your parents would rate you? In terms of honouring your mother and father. and What sort of numbers do we think we'd get if we were rated on how we performed in 2019. This is not a rating from God. 
God loves us unequivocally. This is not a performance thing. This is a reality of the fact that we live in a world that we're called to reach, world we're called to penetrate for the kingdom of God and for the gospel. It's a culture that values excellence, and the more excellent we are, the louder our voice is heard. The louder our voice is heard. I told you at the start, don't switch off to me. I'm talking about excellence and I can... I know it rubs some people the wrong way. It rubs me the wrong way and I might be talking. Let me give you... Let me give you my definition of excellence. Here's what I think excellence is. Two things. Number one, excellence is doing whatever you do to the best of your ability. It's doing whatever you do to the best of your ability. Excellence is not being the best. This is where I think some people miss it. We think excellence is being the best. No, no, no. You can do the best that you can do with the ability you've got. Now, here's the thing. If your ability is the best ability and you're doing the best with what you've got, then the byproduct of that is you may end up the best. But it's not about being the best. It's about doing the best with what you have in life. It's about being the best version of you that you can be. You can be the best you. You can do the best that you can with what you have and not be the best. And that's okay. Because no one's expecting you to be anybody other than yourself. But I also know this. A lot of us have more to give than we do. A lot of us can be better than what we are. And it can be easy to take the easy road. It can be easy to take the soft option in life. And especially for us as Christians, because we've got this fallback called God. Well, it's all God. I mean, if God wants me to be there, he'll get me there. Well, God wanted two million people to get across to the promised land too. That's why he pulled them out of Egypt. Guess what? They didn't get there. 2 Peter 3.9, I think it is. It's the will of God that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Guess what? They're not all coming to repentance. We play a role in this thing called life. We've got our bit to play. The Bible says that Daniel distinguished himself because an excellent spirit was inside him. He developed an excellent spirit. He made some decisions and he decided to have an excellent spirit. I believe having an excellent spirit is a choice. It's a choice that we make. It starts with an attitude. It starts with an attitude, and that's my second part of my definition of what is excellence. Number one, doing whatever you do to the best of your ability. Number two, doing whatever you do with the best attitude. If you can do the best that you can do with a good attitude, then you're developing an excellent spirit. You are a person of excellence. Outcomes, I'm not talking about outcomes. You may produce five products in a day. The guy next to you may do half the commitment you've got, half the effort, but he may produce 20 for whatever reason. But if you're putting in the best that you can, doing the the effort and putting in the best that you can with the abilities you have and you're keeping a good attitude while you're doing it, then you are on the way to developing what Daniel was referred to as having an excellent spirit. And I believe that as people of God, we're called to develop an excellent spirit. Amen. I I believe with all my heart we are meant to be people of excellence. Not the world's definition of excellence, but God's definition of excellence. Because God created us not for mediocrity. 
What did God say to Adam and Eve? Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. In other words, you need to rise up and have authority and dominion and power. Don't sit in the corner quietly skulking away while the rest of the world takes over. Rise up, stand up, stand out and take your rightful place. Take your rightful place. Whatever position in life that you find yourself, there's a rightful place for you to take. Michelangelo was painting the Sistine Chapel. This is four years laying on his back. Can you imagine that? Four years laying on your back painting the Sistine Chapel, one of the most beautiful pieces of art ever painted. And a friend of his apparently walked past him one day as he was painting a corner. So he's up in the back corner there, a dark corner, not the middle of it where everybody would look up and see the centre of the image, but way off in the back corner. And he's on his back and he's painting and his friend observed him, watched him. And his friend said to him, Michael Angelo, why are you putting so much effort and energy into that tiny bit of dark space over there? The same effort you put in here, why are you doing it over there? No one's going to see it. Michael Angelo turned and looked at him and he said these three words, God sees it. God sees it. God sees the effort. God sees the commitment. God sees the work. Yeah, when I was a manager at Dan Murphy's, it's amazing how many people would cut corners. We don't want to face up at night. We turn the bottles around. We don't care about that stuff, you know. But we had all these procedures and policies. You know what stood out to me was the people that would go out there and would do all those tiny little things that you could probably get away with if you didn't have managers that had probably gotten away with it before and didn't know where to look for the shortcuts. But the guys that went that extra mile, the guys that did that extra little bit, I look at them and go, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's that excellent spirit that doesn't cut corners. You know, look at this. I, I, I look at this and I go, Where's, is Leslie here? No? No, look at that. To me, you know what that is? I was here. I watched Leslie meticulously. She, made, she did this. Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. How do we develop that excellent spirit? Let me, let me give you a, a, a couple of passages here. Here's the key to being excellent. Here's the key to being excellent. This is what Paul the Apostle thought anyway. The key to being excellent is this. Do everything as if God is the direct benefactor of your efforts. Let me explain it to you the way he explained it to the Colossians. In Colossians 3.17 he said this, And whatever you do, say that, whatever you do, whatever, whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, he's covering every base, whatever you do, whatever action, whatever you're talking about, saying, whatever you do in word or deed, and here's what he says, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. In other words, do it all as if God is the direct benefactor of what you're doing. A little bit further on in the same passage, Colossians 3 verse 23, he says this, he says, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. In other words, when you go to work and you're stacking the shelves, don't think I'm stacking the shelves for that company to make money. I'm stacking these shelves as if this shelf was God's shelf himself. I'm, I'm putting that car together. I'm greasing that engine. Not as if it was Joe Bloggs' engine and he's going to pay me $650 to do it. I'm going to grease that engine as if this engine is going to be driven out of my garage by the Lord God himself. I'm going to sweep that floor as if God himself owns that piece of floor and God himself is going to be walking on that in 30s. I'm going to sweep and mop that floor. I'm going to dust that shelf as if God himself is going to put his own version of the Bible on that shelf. I'm going to do everything that I do as if I'm doing it directly under God, not like I'm doing it for people, but I'm going to do everything I do as if God in heaven is the direct benefactor of everything I say and every action that I do. Can you imagine what your life would look like if in 2020 you made the decision to do everything you did for the next 12 months as if you were doing it directly to God, as if everything you did was for the benefit of God and He was the direct benefactor of every action you did at work, at home, on 
on a sporting field, at the club, wherever it is that you do, wherever that you go, if you were to do everything as if God himself was a direct benefactor, what do you think your life would look like in 2020? I wonder what the church... I wonder what the church in Lismore would look like if every single person woke up on Monday morning and went to work as if they were working for the direct benefit of God himself. What would we be able to do in this community? The most excellent people get the promotions. The most excellent people have the loudest voices. The most excellent people get asked the questions. The most excellent people get noticed. And God, I believe, wants us to be the most excellent people. And we should do everything as if God is a direct benefactor of our efforts. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Paul again says to the Corinthians, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, something as mundane as eating and drinking, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I was watching, a, listening to a documentary the other day and they were asking a guy about that Navy, he's a Navy SEAL, and they asked him this question. They said, who passes and becomes a Navy SEAL? The Navy SEALs are the most elite um, uh, trained soldiers on the planet, the American Navy SEALs. And they said, who are the sort of guys that pass? And this guy said this, he said, it's not who you think. It's not who you think. He said, it's not the guys that come in with the bulging muscles and the big bodies and the tattoos everywhere who are just there to prove to the world how tough they are. He said, most of them don't make it. He said, it's not the guys that have come out of corporate and leadership backgrounds who know all the leadership strategy and all the leadership stuff, and they can tell you this theory and that theory and so on, and when they get out there, they're so good at delegating to other people and making sure everyone else does stuff. He says, they're not the ones that pass either. He said, you'd be surprised. A lot of the ones that pass, he said, they're scrawny. Physically, they're nothing to look at. They're not the fittest, they're not the toughest, they're not the strongest, but he said, here's the thing. When they're under pressure and the heat's on, they're the ones that have the ability to turn and look after the guy on their left and then turn and look after the guy on their right. They're the ones that are there to serve other people, not just themselves. And I heard that and I thought, Lord, it's amazing when we do things for somebody else, isn't it? It's amazing when what we're doing is not just about us. My my football team, we just went down to Port Macquarie, under-20s. I coach a a bunch of kids from Ballon. I've had them since they were that big. It was their last year together in the under-20s. Went down to the state titles uh, just a few weeks back. We were away first weekend, December, and they won their grand final. I've had these kids from that big. They've laboured, they've slaved away for each other. This year we went down there, and I said to them before the grand final, I said, here's one thing that I want you to think about in this game. And they'd just been beaten. Uh, by two tries, 4-2, Penrith beat them and then the next day we had to back up and play them again in the grand final. said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to forget about winning the game for yourself. Because here's the thing, if you go out there thinking you're just doing this for you, when you get tired, there's your out. I'm tired, I can stop now. When you feel like you've given enough and you've got no more to give, well, you'll pull up. You'll pull up stumps and that'll be enough. When you don't want to take that extra step to push yourself, you won't do it. When you don't want to chase it a little bit harder, you won't do it. He said, but if you're doing this for your mates, forget yourself. If you're doing this for them, you're doing this for somebody else, then when you're too tired, you'll push yourself because you realise you're not the benefactor somebody else is. And you'll push yourself and you'll go that little bit harder and you'll go that little bit faster and you'll exert that little bit more energy and you'll achieve much more by playing for somebody else than playing for yourself. And they went out and they did it. And they beat Penrith by three tries. Excellent. It was excellent. 
I look at those kids and I thought, you know what you did out there? You guys displayed an excellent spirit. If you do everything as if God is a direct benefactor, here's the kicker. You'll benefit from it too. You'll benefit from it too. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 16 to 19, it's the story of, of, of King David. And here's what it says. Saul, who's the king at the time, Saul's got this distressing spirit coming upon him and all sorts of stuff going on. And, and, and his advisor, Saul's advisor, say, send us out and we'll go and find someone that can play some good music. And they'll play some good music and when they come and play the music, the spirit will disappear. Watch this. 1 Samuel 16, 16 to 19. They said to Saul, let our master now command your servants who are before you. In other words, send us out to go and seek a man who is a skillful player on the harp. Not just someone that can play a harp. I want someone that's skillful on the harp. Go and find someone who's skillful on a harp. A lot of people played harp in that day. But they, he said, I want someone that's skillful. In other words, I want someone that's excellent in the harp, somebody that's put the time, the energy in, not just to play a harp, but to get better and better and better and has done the hard work and is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he'll play with his hand and when the distressing spirit comes, he'll disappear and so on. Provide me now a man who can play well, Saul says, and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, they said, look, I've found a son of Jesse, a Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing. Now I want you to see something here. This is in First Samuel chapter 16. David gets his entrance into the castle through his skill set. Not through being anointed king. Same passage, go back. Three verses. David's anointed king by Samuel. He's already been anointed king. But it wasn't the anointing of being the king that got him into the castle. It was his ability to skillfully play music. Figure that. You're already anointed king. But God used the areas of his life that he developed, that he got better at, that he was skillful at. God used that to get him to the place where he needed to be. He got his entrance in to the palace by being a good musician. Solomon got influence with world leaders. The Queen of Sheba came to Solomon. Why? Because Solomon developed a great intellect and a lot of wisdom. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. Wisdom is not a bad thing. At the end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says this. He says, everything is like a chasing after the wind. Nothing means anything unless God's first. That's his conclusion at the end of Ecclesiastes. No point does he say educating yourself is wrong. He didn't say that. He just says, if you think you're going to find something in education alone that you can't find in God, you're missing the point. But he educated himself and his wisdom opened up the door with the Queen of Sheba, the Queen of Ethiopia. Some archaeologists and, and, and people believe historians that she was the Queen of Ethiopia. She travels across to him because she hears of his wisdom and she says to him, I'm going to come to you and I want to ask you some hard questions. Who would love the people in your workplace to ask you the hard questions about life? Where do I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Solomon's ability to, to, get, to, to, to educate himself, his wisdom, his knowledge, what he had accumulated, opened up a door for him, just like David's skill set with a musical instrument. Caleb, I love this one, Numbers chapter 14, verse 24. The whole nation of Israel brought out of Egypt, you meant to be going to the promised land. Ten spies go in and come out with negative reports. Two go in, come out with a good report. Two million people listen to those ten people. There must have been something strong about Caleb. Two million people listen to those ten negative reports. Caleb stood strong. What was different about Caleb and the other two million people? That those other two million people could be led astray by that false report. Caleb could stand there and go, I'm not going to believe a word you've got to say. And because of that, he gets across into the promised land. Numbers 14, 24, my servant Caleb, because he has a what? A different spirit. He's got a different spirit in him. An excellent spirit. He's developed something on the inside of him. And he's going to fully obey me. Fully obey me. I said the land's yours. I didn't say, do you think you can get it? I said, it's yours. And Caleb went, yes, it's mine. 
I'm going to believe you, God. And I'm going to do exactly what you say and I'm going to put my faith in what you have to say over everything else. Daniel's excellence gave him influence as a captive in Babylon. Now if anyone's sitting there going, but you don't know my boss, you don't know my family, you don't know my wife, you want me to be excellent, you don't know how hard it is for me to be excellent in my world, let me give you a couple of things. If there's anyone in the Bible... They had an excuse not to develop an excellent spirit. It was the guy we started out talking about, Daniel. Let me tell you a few things about Daniel. His nation was overrun and defeated by the Babylonian armies. His whole nation was overrun. Your nation been overrun yet? Oop, one Daniel, zero you. He was removed from his homeland, completely taken out of his homeland, his home city. He was relocated into another city, Babylon. Forcibly. It wasn't a decision, it wasn't for a promotion, it wasn't for work, it wasn't to find a bigger church. He was taken to a place where there was no church. He was stripped of his Jewish monotheistic culture, his God, one God only culture. He was stripped of that and placed in the middle of an idol worshipping culture, surrounded by idols. When he walked down the streets, everywhere he went now, there were all these other foreign, abhorrent gods to him as a Jew. He was forced to speak another language. He wasn't allowed to speak Hebrew, he was made to speak Chaldean. They were told you can't speak your native tongue anymore. Hebrew's gone. His name was changed. He was no longer Daniel. He was now Belteshazzar. They took away his Jewish name. They tried to change his diet. You're going to have to eat like us now. And ultimately they tried to change his faith. He said, you'll be out of these idols. If anyone in history has ever had a valid excuse to not develop an excellent spirit in the midst of their present life circumstances, it was Daniel. Yet he still did it, and it didn't go unnoticed. We're talking about excellence, not perfection. Excellence, not perfection. Perfectionism will kill you, but excellence will promote you. Perfection impresses people, but excellence is what impresses God. Just like Chloe's report card, it's about our effort and our commitment. Not the numbers. It's about that effort and that commitment. Let me finish with this question. What could 2020 look like for you? If you decided to develop an excellent spirit, you're going to be thinking New Year's resolutions, all this stuff. Here's my New Year's resolution this year. This is what I'm going to do. I don't want to add or take away from my life. I'm not going to do more or do lesser tried that, doesn't work. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to decide to develop an excellent spirit in 2020, because I know I can. I'm going to lay down the excuses and I'm going to make the decision. Because an excellent spirit begins with an attitude. And once I have the attitude, it flows over into actions. But it starts with an attitude, it starts with a choice. What could 2020 look like for you if you decided to develop an excellent spirit? What could your work life look like? Could you be promoted this year? Possibly. Could you get a transfer? Could you earn more money? Set your family up a bit better? Very possibly. What about at school? Could you pick your grades up at school? Could you make more friends? Could you make the right friends? Could you get more opportunity on the team? The music department? At church? What would church life look like for you if you decided I'm going to develop an excellent spirit? See, I think people here have got it. I watch. I was in here the other day. Pauline and, and Kim were in here and they were vacuuming and stuff and I was behind there sitting at my desk doing a bit of work and I was watching. Not in a weird way. 
And I saw you. Is they get in the corners and we're about to leave. And as they're about to, I've turned the lights off and Kim goes, oh, hang on a second. I haven't done the pulpit. She comes and starts wiping this down. I'm thinking, I'm going to cover it up anyway. No one's going to see it. But it didn't matter. That's an excellent spirit. What about at home? What would your home life look like if in 2020 you said, I'm going to develop an excellent spirit? I'm going to be an excellent husband. I'm going to be an excellent father. I'm going to be an excellent wife, an excellent mother. I'm going to be an excellent child, excellent brother. I'm going to be an excellent sister. What about your friendships? I'm going to be an excellent friend, not just a mediocre, ordinary, average friend. I'm going to go for excellence. I'm going to go and be the best I can be in your marriage, etc. What could 2020 look like for you if you decided to develop an excellent spirit? I think the sky is the limit. I think 2020 is a year where God's saying to us, arise, shine, stand up, and let's stand out. Amen? Amen? Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. God, I thank you for 2019 and, uh, Lord, the incredible blessings that have been there along the way. We've had some great things that have happened. And, Lord, I thank you for 20, uh, 2020, the next year that's coming. Lord, I pray we, we, we don't just walk into it fearfully. I pray that we dive into it full of faith and full of expectation and, and expectancy that this 2020 is going to be a better year than we've ever had before. Lord, let us believe that, God. And Father, I pray for everybody here. Lord, you would take this whole idea of an excellent spirit. God, would you translate that to the individual life of each person in this room and speak to them and help each of us to know what do I do, what's my part in developing that excellent spirit in 2020. And Lord, as we do that, God, I look forward to the promotions. I look forward to the forward movement. look forward to the upward momentum. God, that we're going to get not just in our personal worlds, but Lord, I even pray in terms of our kingdom influence here in this town, this city and beyond. And Father, I pray for the next seven days as we leave this place, everybody here, give every one of us an opportunity to tell somebody about you, God, somebody that doesn't understand that you died, that you were buried, that you rose again for their sins and that you loved them. Give us a chance this week, God, to bump into somebody and to tell them that amazing message of good news. And everybody said, Amen. I mean, bless you guys. Have a uh, great rest of your week. You don't have to run off. There's morning tea still there and, and eat the stuff and that. Um, hey? Oh, and happy new year too. Enjoy your, enjoy your 1920.